this new Kirby shirt okay. at Target, and like it's got it's got like like the the stars down on the one side. Yeah, and then yeah. On the other side, I got the the katakana or or the kanji. I don't know what what Japanese. Oh yeah, that's like says Kirby stuff. Yeah. Okay. I mean, cool. I don't know what it says. I assume it <laughs> says Kirby stuff. I hope it doesn't say like "fuck your mother" or something. Yeah, a very angry <laughs> Japanese person stops you and is like, "Why are you wearing a?" It's just for the Shinzo Abe cult or something. <laughs> they smuggled it into Target. <laughs> Hell yeah! I mean, I feel kind of bad because, like, growing up, I was always one of those people who was like, "I don't want anything from Target," right? Sure. Like, I I want weird shit off the internet and secondhand stuff that makes me look like I'm cosplaying as an old man. And now I'm like in my mid thirties and I'm waltzing through the target and I'm like, Oh shit. All of this stuff has been specifically tailored to my generation. Cause we're the ones <laughs> with money right now. <laughs> they got all kinds of shit ready for me. Yeah. I feel like target is always like, I guess if you're like really decidedly like alt, you'll be in target and be like, uh-huh. I don't want a Led Zeppelin shirt. I don't want like a whatever. I don't want a funny meme shirt, but you reach your thirties. And if you're not like a diehard, like, punk i don't know target's got something for you well i mean i feel like it's it's with with whatever things aren't your primary interests you just get more basic as you get older like i'll never i'll never be the guy who watches basic movies and listens to basic like pop music and stuff that i don't think that's ever going to happen to me sure but i have never given a single solitary shit about fashion i just like clothes that are comfortable cheap and look nice like that's Mm -hmm. my three criteria so as i get older i feel I, i feel like i'm gonna I'm definitely going to turn into the guy who's like, oh my, what a great deal on crew cut socks. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take two packs, good sir. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Target really has has you nailed if you want that because it's like, they're not so cheap that they're like instantly falling apart, but they're really cheap. And so they're like, not amazing quality, but they're fine quality. And if you don't Mm -hmm. really... If you don't appreciate the like subtle distinctions of like a $200 t-shirt or like a $500 jacket (laughs) or whatever, you're fine. Yeah, it's like my my dad and his wife, uh, one year for Christmas, they got me a $150 gift card to Duluth Trading Company. Oh, yeah. And I walked into this Duluth Trading Company in Grand Rapids and I was like, I don't, even though it's on a gift card, like I feel bad spending $90 on a flannel right now. <laughs> like that's that's deranged to me when I could yeah. easily go to Target and then the secondhand store and get a closet full of flannels for $90. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like they might even be better quality, but is this one that's ninety bucks really gonna last four times as long as the Target one? Like maybe. Or is it but really that not. much nicer looking either? Yeah. That's my thing. Is like I, I get if it doesn't last as long and you just want to pay for like the experience of wearing something that looks really nice or is like made out of good material and is comfortable. Sure, but yeah. it's just like there's diminishing returns on that going all the way up. Like, did you see menswear Twitter? was lighting off again recently talking about like ill-fitting suit shoulders and stuff. I've been seeing some of this, yeah. There's that dye workwear guy who's always going viral because he he's making fun of Nick Adams or other like all of these like traditional masculinity guys and he's mm-hmm. like, their suits are not traditionally masculine at all. <laughs> I mean, I do love that that he has the skill to be like, oh, I see that you're trying to like front to traditional masculinity on this mm-hmm on this uh in this register and it turns out this register aka menswear is my forte so i'll demolish you yeah, but then yeah. i saw people posting like quote tweeting him demolishing the suits and they're like i am never posting a picture of myself in a suit on this website ever <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's too risky you're opening yourself up to anything anything can happen i feel like yeah it just really reinforces my idea that like if you're if you're wading into a territory like fashion that you are definitely like not uh, familiar with your mm-hmm. best bet is to just do some weird shit because if if you break all the rules and you do some weird shit at least nobody can like claim that you failed to follow the rules it's like i made a decision to wear this gigantic pumpkin suit <laughs> you know to the wedding or whatever yeah or even like your kirby shirt right now it's like you're wearing the kirby shirt exactly right it fits and it's a t-shirt mm-hmm. and that's good people are sometimes trying to do too much and then they don't do it correctly and then it's like a lot worse than if they had just worn a nice t-shirt with Kirby yeah. on it. Well, it's also funny because like, you know, I, I bought, well, my wife bought this for me actually. So thank you so much, babe. But um, it, when I got the Kirby t-shirt, I was like, oh my God, I'm getting so much more, you know, basic, more normy as I get sure. older. And then like, we kind of like wrapped up a lot of the moving process because we just moved 
into this house that we bought. Um, no, yeah, we, you're in a new house now. That's so cool. Yeah, we love it. It's incredible. Um, I, I would show you the view out the window, but there's a ton of glare right now. Uh-huh. But um, it's so funny because this town has like 500 people in it. It's literally mm. like a grocery store, a gas station, a post office, an Amish store, a bulk mm. food store, and like not a lot else. What do they have at the Amish store? It's like where Amish people shop or it's run by Amish it, people? It's run by the Amish people. So I haven't been yeah. there yet, but the guy who installed my internet was telling me about it. And he's like, they got the Benton Dent right next door. So you got okay. discount canned goods. And then you go over to the Amish shop and you can get all your wood goods. You know, they do handcrafted furniture. They oh, do yeah. like tables and chairs. And then they also do like... uh dairy products they do like cheeses and and various like uh yogurts and stuff like that so pretty cool i'm definitely gonna check it out yep clean living that's me (laughs) i don't wear buttons but i got a cool hat also okay so here's the funny thing too because like the the internet guys came into the house and i was like hi my name's john and the guy was like i'm steve and i'm like nice to meet you steve and the other guy was like i'm jeremiah and i was like it's nice to meet you jeremiah and then Jeremiah was the one who told me about the Amish store. And he was okay. like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I saw a guy park his buggy down the way the other day. And he was like, yeah, we got a few of them around there. Took every ounce of control I had not to be like, buddy, your name is Jeremiah. <laughs> the fuck do you I, mean a few of them? <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, I'm just a regular guy named Jeremiah. That just happens to be my name. I can't control it. I'm not Amish. <laughs> That is funny. I'm not, He's not like Amish. a reformed Amish or anything. No. Well, I mean, there's so many like weird strains of Protestantism and weird also like mm. New World Christianity. Sure, yeah. Which is like its own whole deal. And those are all really, really common around here. So like in West Michigan, you find pockets of like uh, you know, Pentecostals, you find pockets of like uh Jess um Mormons, uh Latter-day Saints pretty mm-hmm. big around here. Um I definitely knew, like, I think, like, I knew both, like, like some Mormons growing up when mm-hmm. I was in, living in Michigan, and then also uh, Mennonite people. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, big Just, Mennonite like, they, you know, went to my school. Here. Yeah, and Mennonites are cool too because they're like a little less restrictive than the yeah. Amish. I think the Anabaptists exist on a spectrum from like hardcore Amish, which is like what you think of when you think of Amish, all the way up to Quakers who are just mm-hmm. like regular people with cell phones and shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I feel like the people I knew who were Mennonite, it was like, they're basically, like you said, regular people with cell phones and stuff. Like they're mm-hmm. not following any, there's like certain sects of Mennonites, I think that are like closer to Amish, but right. Others that are just like pretty chill. Pretty chill. Yeah. We also have like the Christian scientists up here, which is uh, one Christian of the weirdest scientists ones. Is really weird. Just yeah, the most, I, the most, ill-named group possible it's like our whole thing is no science no modern medicine we don't believe in it it's fake yeah yeah they had like a headquarters downtown saugatuck where i grew up which was crazy because like saugatuck's like the big you know for years it for decades it had the reputation in michigan as being like the gay resort town it was like the lgbt friendly town going all the way back to like the 1950s or whatever you know it was still super dangerous to be openly anything yeah yeah. pretty much anywhere and um so i always thought it was weird that we had like one of the most regressive (laughs) cult-like new world uh christian orders and they had this big you know white uh imposing building right downtown right between like a fucking dance studio a public park and and a coffee shop (laughs) (laughs) they're just trying to convert them they're like they're gonna go to dance class we'll catch them they're going to their (laughs) coffee shop to read their communist literature we'll catch them going to the beach we'll catch them i always i'd I'd pick up their literature because they had it right outside their front door in like these covered things it was free right because they're trying to proselytize yeah for sure And even like when I was super young, I had been exposed to like a few different kinds of Christianity. My parents never really decided what kind of Christian they were. Mm, Um, And I remember reading it and just thinking like, this is even more batshit than my seventh day (laughs) Adventist (laughs) cousins and the shit that comes out of their mouths. And I was like, I can't believe this exists. Yeah. Yeah, there's isn't there there's an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, I remember when I was a kid where like Richard Lewis is dating a Christian scientist and like... I think she has some kind of allergic reaction and doesn't want to take any medicine. So Larry conspires to like bake Benadryl into a brownie to feed to her to like make her feel better or something. I don't remember what the overall like impact was. 
I think she takes it and then thinks that like her prayer worked and someone else eats the Benadryl brownie or something. I don't remember. Oh, probably falls asleep or something. Benadryl kicks so. my ass. I one yeah. of the things I do love about Curb is that it never tries to teach you a lesson. <laughs> yeah, it's like because <laughs> it's such a it's such a trap that sitcoms I feel like fall into if they go on long enough. Is that it's like you're supposed to start caring about the characters as people and they're supposed to like develop and grow. I don't know. Shows like Friends will do this where it's like, okay, now they're supposed to change as people. And then it means that like the stuff that's supposed to be funny about them, either they have to like keep returning to and like flanderizing and becoming right. more and more absurd, or they it has to like they become better people and then now it's like jokes about how they're good people. Yeah, it's not know, funny Par- to Parks watch kind of did this. Yeah. The last well, few and, seasons. And and like Parks and Rec and The Office and all of the shows in that kind of tradition all fell prey to the thing where it's like if you have romantic chemistry between your your two leads you can never let them get together yeah because yeah. when they get together the <laughs> the driver of the show is dead like it's television yeah television and movies thrive on conflict drama is conflict comedy is conflict mm-hmm. if there's no conflict like i may as well just go sit in my backyard and drink a beer which is nice but like it's not what i'm <laughs> turning on turning on the tv for. i can just do that yeah, but so I like that shows like Curb, it's just like the entire concept is just like Larry is an aggrieved, like kind of bad person who like mm-hmm. says the stuff that you normally think and don't want to do. <laughs> or like uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia follows that model too. Mm-hmm. They will never grow or change as people. They, If anything, they just get worse every season. They become yep. more insane. And, and then like it's always tra- funny. Trailer Park Boys, definitely mm-hmm. in that same kind of thing. Because it's like... Uh, what I, I remember hearing an anecdote about the Seinfeld writer's room where I don't remember if it was Larry who laid down the rule, but there was a rule in the Seinfeld writer's room. Nobody hugs, nobody learns. Yeah, I've definitely <laughs> heard that too. No hugging, no learning. It's like, yeah. <laughs> they never like have a heartfelt moment. And, it, and the, the thing is, the show even sometimes has like emotional moments and mm-hmm. like character moments and stuff, but it's never like pat sitcom, like everyone hugs because it's like... Wait, we solved the minor conflict and now we love each other again or something. Right. Nobody ever saves the rec center on Seinfeld yeah. <laughs> or Curb. Like you get your man in a hole plots where like George gets into a situation where he's in way over his head and then like wriggles his way out of it. Mm-hmm. But as often as he like escapes a situation by the skin of his teeth, just as often they'll also end the episode with him just like <laughs> facing all the consequences at once <laughs> and then they cut to credits like <laughs> yeah i let curb would do that too where it was like especially in the early seasons it was like all the bad stuff that larry had done would like be happening and then that's when it would cut to the end credits and the music would play that's and sometimes it I... would be like it wouldn't you wouldn't know how he like got out of it in the next episode it's just assumed that like he apologized and everyone's mad at him yeah we hit the reset button off screen basically which is a a great system for a show that you want to be like it it also lets a show that does have seriality to it like it lets the episode stand on their own so if you're just standing Mm -hmm. in a room and curb is on you can still laugh you can still follow like what's supposed to be happening yeah at least a little bit yeah did you ever watch that did you see that like tiktoks that was a sign peaks where it was seinfeld and then he would put laura's theme from twin peaks underneath it and like edit out the laugh track a lot of it ends up it feels like it's a scene from from twin peaks because i feel like twin peaks especially has a lot of like cheesy kind of like sitcom soap opera like vibes to it and it's just like not necessarily meant to be as funny it's meant to be like dark and weird and it like really captures that element of seinfeld when you put the music under it there's a weird kinship between those shows too because they're shot like using very similar equipment and mm-hmm. very similar like types of cinematography. Like there's a yeah. lot of Lynch loves to use stationary long shots in mm-hmm. a big room. And like that's it. Like f- one perspective, characters mm-hmm. entering and exiting frame. Like he doesn't do a lot of pans. He doesn't do a lot of like Dutch angles and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting because he he has like a TV sensibility about the way he puts stuff together anyway. And then you have mm-hmm. the dis and, and the camera quality is pretty similar between the shows yeah and then like the disjointedness of lynch it's funny that those would be mashed up too because i feel like they are meditating on the same kind of like weird disjointed social interaction that is Mm -hmm. like a product of modern american society but like to seinfeld it's all a big joke whereas to david lynch i think it's dead serious yeah Uh, (laughs) lynch is like exploring like a deep darkness and like evil that all this stuff is like skirting around and Seinfeld is kind of just exploring like a deep like nothing like an existential kind of like question mark 
at the center of everything where it's like he's not really facing down anything evil or like corrupting or dark just kind of like the sort of like end of history 90s shrug of yeah there's kind of nothing at the center of anything the big uncomfortability when you've already like searched for meaning a billion times and kind of gotten nowhere but hey new york city baby (laughs) we we love to see our friends in the diner yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah hanging out in a diner all the time It's 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 an interesting little tiktok Hell yeah. I recommend it. I'll have to check that out. Well, as long as we're talking about things we saw on the internet, uh, I haven't had a chance to talk about this on the show since it happened, even though it was 15 fucking days ago. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> listeners, we're sorry we were been away. I was sick for a little while. John was sick before that. John was moving. Bryn and Todd have been busy with various things. We're very sorry, but we're back. This podcast is all over the fucking map these days. It turns yeah. out, as you get older... Uh, shit comes up. I thought I thought not having kids was going to excuse me mm. from the hustle and bustle of adult life, but yeah. I think it's really only just like saved me a few <laughs> a few hours here and there. In honesty, parents right now are probably like, "Shut the fuck up, John. You don't know anything." Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Parents. The alternate version version of you that has kids right now and does all the same shit you do is like, <laughs> "What are you talking about, you motherfucker?" I got it easy. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a sick irony if the version of me that has kids somewhere out in the multiverse is actually like way happier than I am? Because I have to say, <laughs> I'm a pretty happy guy. Sure. <laughs> I, I'm a pretty, I have pretty bad anxiety, but for the most part, I'm a pretty happy guy. That would so. be weird if like somehow the version of yourself, of, of anyone that has kids, it's like, yeah, actually life is like a lot easier, less stress less stuff to worry about. I don't know. I'm sure it's like that for some people. Like it just, that's what they want out of like, you know, some people are like really, really want to have kids. And so once they have kids, it's like everything feels like it makes sense. And uh, I can see that if there's something that you feel like is missing from your life, even if you have like what we would consider more like free time or ease or whatever, it's just kind of like stressful and not sure. Chill. Well, it's like I was catching up with my buddy from Pittsburgh recently and he's kind of like, He's one of the weirdest friends in my friend group because he's not like weird at all. He's an extremely normal guy. Okay. Uh, and he's like, he, he and his wife been married a long time. Uh, they're Catholic, you know? Mm. Um, and, uh, they just had, I think their second kid, I think they're gearing up to have their third kid. And I was just kind of catching up with him cause we have a shared interest in like math rock and a few other types of music. Yeah. yeah. A- and, uh, after we traded albums, I was like, so how's the, how are the kids? And he's like, oh man, they're doing incredible. It's just such a joy to take care of them. And I'm like, I don't know. Hardcore dad. There definitely is like a type of dude who was built for this. Cause like, yeah. You know, I don't want to talk too much of my buddy's stuff out in the open, but he was definitely like going through some shit during a lot of the time we were friends. And then sure, like when yeah. he had some kids, his priorities just all like locked into this rhythm. And he's like, he's like the, the Pope told me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's what I, I could definitely imagine that for a lot of people that it's just like what, whatever their like priorities or like perspective is in life changes a lot when they mm-hmm. have kids. Well, my priorities have been changing. As I've been getting older, I've been getting obsessed with playing games that spit out money if you're good at them. And mm. listeners will know I've been grinding the Texas Hold'em online poker tournaments pretty hard. Just made $500 yesterday off of nice. $60 in buy-ins, not to brag. Nice, nice. Um, do, but, you, do you play in online tournaments or you just kind of play games and then like leave when you're up? Oh, no, yeah. So I... I I originally got back into poker playing cash games where you just sit down with money and you leave with however much money you ended up with. Whatever your chips are. And I liked those, but I I really, I started playing tournaments just kind of on a whim. And tournaments, there's like this whole other layer of strategy because the blinds keep going up, your chips become worth less and less over time. (laughs) And so it's like, you have to not just play position and the cards and the stack depths, but you also have to play like, this thing called ICM, which is international chip modeling, which um, takes people based on how many chips they have left in the tournament and assigns dollar values to what they have. And Mm. it's like startlingly accurate. So I I get to research all of this like meta strategy and I thrive on meta strategy. Like I was the kid in school who wouldn't even learn the material, but I'd get a B plus on the test because I'm just good at tests. I understand (laughs) the format of the test. And so you know, anything with that extra layer of strategy on top, I really thrive in those environments. And so Mm -hmm. I've been playing the tournaments and (laughs) two of my interests collided on Twitter about two and a half weeks ago. 
when Charlie Carroll quote tweeted Steve Albini. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> they had been in this argument uh where Charlie Carroll said when I speak against the transmania, I wish we could have a powerful, honest and good faith discussion about it. And then Albini hero that he is comes in and he says you call it transmania you are not prepared to have a good faith discussion and he got he murdered him on analytics like charlie's sure. tweet 75 likes steve albini's tweet 12.8 thousand likes who is this charlie joker anyway just some random guy well that's the funny thing is because like when people were charlie carroll got mad he was like he's a professional poker player from australia mm, okay. uh, and he got mad he quote tweeted he said this guy is paying for likes and follows right engagement <laughs> analytics on this are nonsensical which is so funny that's the funniest way to ever admit that you don't know who steve albini is yeah <laughs> because like steve albini legendary followers like is it that hard to imagine that he just has a lot of followers and they liked the stuff it is also like, do you just not understand how Twitter works when you have almost 100K followers? Like, you can just tweet one word and it'll get dozens of likes. Yeah. And this uh, guy paid for it, so he just clearly does not understand how it works. Well, and Steve... I assume he was, did anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Steve was like, um, oh yeah, the, the blue check. He's, he's got a blue check now. Yeah, he's definitely paying for it. Charlie is. But... Yeah. um albini was like this is legitimately the funniest thing anybody has ever said about me and it's so <laughs> funny because everybody saw this and they were like oh yeah i know who steve albini is so i understand what's happening no you don't you don't know who charlie carroll is charlie carroll is the biggest fucking loudmouth in poker mm -hmm. and says things that are just straight up non-fucking sensical like if charlie okay. is on your side in an argument you're fucking wrong 100% <laughs> of the time. It's a really easy metric. And the craziest thing about Charlie is like a lot of poker players who talk a lot of shit and are morons, he's actually really good at poker. Like, sure. I would never say that he is not an absolute cash game crusher and, and <laughs> tournament legend. He, he is absolutely those things. But he's also the guy who, when Game Theory Optimal Play became popular, has been trying to say for like... A fucking decade at this point that you that game theory optimal play and solvers are worthless and that you don't need them mm. and then he if thinks you, look you can at, just go off vibes or something he th well yeah he's like he he calls it an exploitative play style which is that's what everybody calls it you know sure. that's like the other play style besides gto mm. but then when he plays and wins he uses strategies that are synonymous with uh -huh. GTO strategies, but he <laughs> calls them different things and he mm. elucidates his reasoning for doing them a little bit differently and then goes on these long tirades about how like you don't need to listen to a computer about when to call and <laughs> fold. And it's just like <laughs> the, the crazy thing about these guys and it, it gives me big Ben Carson vibes as well because it's like you can be so unbelievably skilled at something, but if you make a category error, and you think something mm -hmm. belongs to a group of things that it doesn't or has an attribute that it does not have, you're just going to fucking talk right out of your ass <laughs> about any old thing. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I almost feel like by definition in my experience, like the people who are the dumbest and the loudest are people who have some reason like earned or unearned to think they're smart in any category. Right. Like, I, I don't know, sometimes people who are like wise and actually say smart shit are people who are like, think they're stupid or like their their view of themselves is like, I'm kind of a dumbass, but here's what I think. Mm -hmm. It's people who are like, I'm really good at something, so therefore I must be good at everything. Well, I, that's I, how you I, get your Richard Dawkins of the world, like good yeah. at biology and then is like, okay, I think I could, I could tackle philosophy and theism and stuff. Yeah, and it's like you're not Norbert Wiener, okay? You're not a polymath. <laughs> you're not a renaissance man, whatever the fuck that means. Yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right, Chris, too, because, like, some of the wisest and, like, most, like, things I was able to pull value from for the longest after they were said to me were said to me by people who probably don't think they're all that smart. But mm -hmm. I think there's kind of this thing where it's like, if you're one of those people who has complicated thoughts and you like to talk in complicated ways about complicated thoughts, you probably think you're pretty smart. And I know this because I'm one of those people. That's me, up and down. <laughs> like, sure. I'm not going to lie. But there's a type of person out there, I think, who has wonderful intuition, great critical reasoning skills, but it's all kind of like, it's more reflexive. It doesn't really happen with a lot of effort. It's like a muscle reflex for them. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And so they end up, everything congeals and they understand things very simply. And they think, oh, if I understand it simply and all I'm having is simple thoughts, they must not be worth anything. And it's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a simple true thing over a complicated 
potentially true thing any <laughs> fucking day of the week. Like, yeah. I feel like that's an Aristotle quote. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure my boy Plato said that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing. So like, you know, poker players like to talk a lot of shit, but I, I love that we have Twitter now because it used to be if you wanted to watch a dude with a horrible bald spot make an ass out of himself, you had to tune into like NBC at one in the morning on like your <laughs> local your local network channel. But now we just have Twitter. I can just go on the Bird app and I can follow Charlie Carroll and I can follow, um, you know, Phil Ivy mm-hmm. and uh, I can follow Phil Locke and I can I can just wait. I can follow all the Phils, Phil Hellmuth, and I can wait for them to say stupid things. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I just I, I know people. There's there's been a lot said about the stuff Elon doesn't understand about Twitter, and I think it's arguably like all of it, mm-hmm. but. I'm just thinking about the fact that like, especially in like the earlier days of Twitter, like I feel like the thing that people found started finding so endlessly fascinating is that like a lot of like, like first you got celebrities on there, but then you also had a lot of sort of like celebrity journalists or like celebrity, celebrity, like public intellectual type people on there. And people started realizing that these people who were like Pulitzer prize winning, like editorial board of these like illustrious newspapers or magazines or whatever, worked for CNN, all these, all these like people who are supposed to be really smart and educated and have like interesting opinions. Mm-hmm. Would you say the dumbest shit if you gave them like an unfiltered f- app on their phone to just say stuff? And I feel like that was like the the endless fascination is that you could get like the richest, you know, like people ostensibly like the most successful, smartest, mm-hmm. richest, and they would say the dumbest shit. And you can and you can make fun of them and they would get mad and argue with you and get owned. Well, and yeah, it feels cause... like Twitter has missed has the fact that Elon will never understand that because he's one of those people getting owned is like the reason that he's never going to make Twitter more popular. Yeah, it's funny because like before social media, if you were a famous person and you wanted to say something, you would go do like a fucking TV appearance or like a God help you, a radio spot. Yeah. And you would have your manager or your handler would like prep you. They would give you ideas for how to phrase things. They would, you know, stuff would be filtered your bad ideas would be filtered and you would be handed good ideas because you're famous and have money and those things attract people who want to give you ideas so they can figure out how to get some of your fame and money. And that was a fine system. But then it like, we got the reality TV moment where the, everybody Mm -hmm. just has like a little camera and a keyboard in their pocket all the time. And they're just like, I think America is secretly run by dogs. They talk and they have meetings like in the movie Cats versus Dogs, but not the cats. Cats are not capable of it. And like everybody just gets the dog pile on you on the fucking internet, yeah. even though you're like, you know, CEO of Tiara Yachts or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been having a good time on the internet recently. I think people are too, too sensitive about Twitter dying. I think that it's important for things to die. I think that we would all be pretty pissed if we were still on MySpace right now. <laughs> and uh, I think you're just going to have to deal with the growing pains and get over it, honestly, because I think it's fun to watch a ship go down, too. Everyone's like, yay, it big line go down. Oh, I wish I could have seen the Titanic sink. You're watching it. The yeah. bird app <laughs> is sinking in your pocket every day, and it's beautiful. <laughs> hey, yeah. I'll play my harp while Rome burns. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Yeah, it does feel like it was, uh, I don't know, it's like become a thing that people talked about in like the late 2010s that it was like the internet used to be this place with like all these different like fan websites and forums and like geocities and stuff. And it kind of just congealed into Reddit, Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and most of those sites are just screenshots of the other one anyway. Like it felt like we were kind of locked into that sort of end of history type march on the internet that just like the whole internet was owned by a few corporations. And so mm-hmm. watching some of them like crash and burn because of even more idiotic management than it already had is uh, interesting for sure. It's definitely bad for like the world that, you know, reactionaries control it, but it's not like it was ever run by anyone with any good intentions or was not controlled by the cl- clandestine state and the government and stuff anyway. Truly. So, I don't know. It's just, it's funny and interesting and probably something even worse will rise in its place. Well, yeah. I mean, I've always wondered why we, why we gave up on the welcome to my webpage format of social media where like you get a play space and like we could do it up so good in 2023. It could be incredible. Mm -hmm. Like think about if you, if you had like Mario maker level technology 
to make your fucking personal website with any images, any videos. Because I remember doing this back in the day. You'd get your uh-huh. MySpace, your Zanga, your Blogspot, your Live Journal, whatever, and you try to customize it, and it was a bitch. It yeah. was so hard. You had to learn how to do HTML. <clears throat> Excuse me. You had to learn HTML if you didn't know it. You had to learn cascading style sheets if you wanted to use HTML with any degree of efficiency. And then by God help you, you might actually have to learn how to program ActionScript to get the flash (laughs) elements in your page working right. And it's like nowadays, all of that stuff could be streamlined, pipelined, and made extremely user-friendly. But nobody fucking does it. Everybody's Facebook page is a fucking blue and white wall with a sunset photo in the profile picture. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that would be cool. I don't, uh, I, I guess it's sort of a like weird, it, it feels like the internet use and like, especially smartphones sort of like democratized, but also like dumbed down and like g- sort of gated the way people interact with, uh, with the internet where like, like I've heard people talk about this, that they'll try to like explain to a zoomer, like this is pretty anecdotal, but like zoomer or younger and be like, Oh, mm-hmm. like, can you, connect this computer to a printer or something or can you like download stuff like downloading pdfs and files and shit they'll be like how does that work because they're so used to stuff like ipads where you're not Mm -hmm. really looking at the file structure of the computer or thinking about it in like even the the, like kind of bare bones hackery way that we you know grew up using computers it's all like very very streamlined and everything is kind of formatted like an app and so a lot of people just kind of think of even websites and like the internet and stuff in that way and not anything you have to actually like customize or understand how it works or anything. So you just kind of are like, let me use a Facebook page, like make a page instead of Mm -hmm. thinking about it in any kind of detailed way. Well, I think people are under the impression that like the state of technology makes it so that it has to be that way. Like that we have so much at our disposal yeah. that you can't possibly learn the how to use the guts of your computer or the internet or uh-huh. the cloud or whatever it may be. When really, I think it's just the fact that like with more complicated and advanced technology comes more opportunities for the people who make it to obfuscate how it fucking works from the public. Because that's the thing. Like when, when computers were new and anybody with a background in electrical engineering or anybody who was intuitively good at picking up how to use software mm-hmm. um, could basically just become a fucking hacker man all yeah. over their fucking computer and go nuts. And it's like that produced this explosive variety. And it's not like we didn't have a corporate environment in the 80s and 90s. Like when mm-hmm. personal computers came out, they were this incredible luxury item. They were like hyper expensive. They came with all of these accessories and peripherals that were super fucking expensive and you had to know how to use them. And it's like, you know, what, what's a sat drive? You know, what's, what the fuck am I going <laughs> to use that for? And like all of the different types of, of mouses and stuff. And so there was a there was kind of an inclusivity to it that couldn't be avoided. But mm-hmm. as the technology progressed and they made things more and more proprietary, it got easier and easier to lock you out. Like I remember when my high school switched over to all Apple products, I was furious. Not yeah. because Apple makes inferior products. If anything, they're better computers by and large. But because everything's proprietary on them and you don't get to see how the sausage is made and it makes it turns you into a little baby who is not properly using their tool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're like locked out of doing a lot of things. And then, yeah, a lot of software just like can't run on them. And yeah, all that all that kind of stuff is so stupid. The way there's just like these sort of these two monolithic operating systems, each of which are like locking you out in different ways. Mm -hmm. Like Microsoft just wants to lock you in like especially now it just feels like windows has like all these pop-up ads for other windows products and like a weird bullshit it forces on you. It's like at least Mac has the dignity to like maintain a like clean, minimal operating system and not mm-hmm. add extra like extraneous bullshit. And uh, windows is just like jamming in whatever bloat that they can think of. Yeah. Well, and also like there's um, I heard an anecdote about this, which is that like a lot of services that Windows produces have become industry standards or are basically just like uniformly proprietary for certain industries and you must use them They're, like mm-hmm. within software development, within cloud stuff, but also within like uh, a lot of industries that just use proprietary software. So like, you know, fucking mills and like, you know, rubber facilities and, and other shit like that. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And so the Microsoft Teams deliberately 
make their products update by very minute amounts all the time. Mm. And, And they're constantly adding and removing functionality and changing the locations of things because if their clients get too comfortable on any one given version, they might continue to use it for a very long time and lock out future updates or God help the Microsoft Corporation, (laughs) a client might actually innovate using the tools (laughs) using, and mind you, these tools that are nominally for people to use in industries to innovate with. Uh If they actually innovate too much, they could create something that is like, you know, um, (laughs) in terms of intellectual property significantly distinct and then microsoft might not be able to capitalize it capitalize on it so they would rather set a cap on the rate of progress for the entire industry to maintain their monopoly mm-hmm. or duopoly or whatever than they would actually see their customers get the results out of the products that the products were built for it's psychotic <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like the bigger a company like that gets and like the longer it sticks around it's like the more perverse incentives it ends up having cuz it's mm-hmm. like in theory, you know, I don't know if this ever is actually true, but like a, a startup tech company is like, okay, let's innovate and create something that people want and like target towards like a need or like a gap that exists or whatever in terms of software. But yeah, at this point when it's like, it, it, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like a car manufacturer, but they have to like figure out a way to get you to stop driving the used car mm-hmm. when in theory the used car should never fall apart because it's like there's nothing wrong with like older versions of Windows really, unless it's like wanting to work with a newer computer or whatever. They just have to constantly like tweak it. And it it feels like at a certain point, you just start making software worse by constantly tweaking it and adding more features because you add more stuff that can break and add more bloat and add more unnecessary stuff. Yeah, well, the the disconnect in the incentives and the perverse incentives that you mentioned, I mean, that's really hitting the nail on the head. And I think it shows like... In in so many different industries, this is way later in the notes, but I'll just talk about it now because yeah. um, uh, Howard Schultz personally introduced the coffee with olive oil thing okay. to Starbucks. So he was like in the middle of facing this gigantic unionization campaign. Shouts out to my other show, Work Stoppage. We cover it almost every week. And mm-hmm. um, the he, he's you know he's union busting. He's going to court. He's he's facing the NLRB and everything. And then. Um, in the middle of all that, he has a meeting with the head of an olive oil company who is trying to sell him on the idea of sipping a tablespoon of olive oil every day for your health. Sure. Sounds good. And I don't know if that is good or not, but <laughs> it sounds nice. I'd probably do it. And yeah, yeah. Um, Howard got the idea right then and there. He was like, what if we put olive oil in the coffee? And reportedly, <laughs> the head of the olive oil company was very confused. <laughs> what oh, are you talking about? <laughs> like, You're not supposed to mix it together. Yeah. So that seems insane. But like, you know, not only is Howard Schultz in that moment revealing his disconnect from like what would even be a desirable product, but also like what what is worth going after within the Starbucks structure at that moment. Because like, you know, you think about it even from even from a perverse uh, you know, capital-seeking, capitalist point of view in the long term, it's probably better to just fucking negotiate with the workers and get your business running smoothly so mm-hmm. that you can expand and you could even, you know, if you really wanted to be a sick bastard about it, you could promote that you're a union company after fighting them. I mean, companies do it all the time. And it's a good idea, yeah. Yeah. I not to give Howard ideas, but these are <laughs> you know, this is the playbook. Um but yeah. instead, no, what does he do? He he has like <laughs> blues lawyer, absolute brain fart <laughs> moment, and turns around and does the equivalent of buying a fucking Moto Guzzi during the divorce. He decides we're gonna launch a new product that makes zero sense. And <laughs> unsurprisingly, not only is it not selling well, it's making customers have to run to the bathroom <laughs> because it turns out people drink coffee on an empty stomach, and when you add fat to something that is already a diuretic it's gonna make people shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah this person this article is linking to some r slash starbuck posts and someone is like have you tried the olive oil drinks and someone's like i got so sick after the olive oil latte coming out both ends all caps terrible (laughs) (laughs) it's a very trump Trump right Trump kind of review (laughs) yeah I, w- I wouldn't put it past donald trump to just have an anonymous reddit account he uses to shit post and uh air his grievances Oh, you know they all do. That's the funny yeah. thing about when when people were like, "Did uh, Ghislaine Maxwell 
might be one of the top redditors of all time. I'm like, yeah, dude, that's where they that's where they hang out. You think they yeah, go to rich. like a secret grove or whatever? That's some 1800s shit. They're not wasting jet fuel to talk to each other in the 2020s. Fuck you. <laughs> like, they do sometimes. They go to Bohemian Grove like once a sure. year, but then they still, you know, what are they going to do every day when they're at home not doing anything? They sure, go on my- the internet. My family throws an annual party every summer in June, but yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't we don't do it every time we want to like talk about how our weird cousin is doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it Not was his good, idea, and way. he like pushed that they should put olive oil in coffee, and no one was like, maybe we shouldn't, or not enough people were to. Uh, cause him to not do it yeah i mean he received pushback initially from the funny thing is like the the guy from the olive oil company obviously didn't tell him no because he's not going to turn down a contract with starbucks sure and who who in the starbucks corporation is going to tell howard schultz no absolutely (laughs) not he was the ceo for the third time at that very moment i think he's stepped down since then and we have a new ceo i forget his name Mm, okay um but uh, I'll, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes him to roll back this uh, olive oil thing. <laughs> yeah. Or how long it takes him to come back to being CEO. Because you said this is the third time he's become the CEO already. Like, Yeah. Well, he, he, he can't stay away. He was CEO when the company first got big. And then he sold it. And then I think they brought him back. Like they rehired him as an executive. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a little fuzzy on these details. Sure. And then... There was some kind of like, because that was when I was working there. And I remember he published a couple books. And every time he'd publish a book, every barista would get a free copy of the book. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we were supposed to be like, thank you so much. Like there was a play, there was a fucking board where we were supposed to put up stuff on index cards that we had learned from the book. And I remember my manager being like, did you read it? And I'm like, Yes. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just lied. <laughs> definitely did. <laughs> definitely read it. It's definitely not already in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> is that how they they is that like the the version of how they get the book to be a bestseller is just like every person they give it to is a sale or whatever? Oh Christ, you know, I didn't even think about that, but that is probably factoring mm. into it. Cool cuz like <laughs> um uh I've seen a bunch of artists recently cuz I think the way that they count uh, album sales towards like gold and platinum records mm-hmm. has changed. And so you, there's a lot of artists who definitely did not have a chance at their record going gold or platinum anyway, but who yeah, are yeah. like posting shit like they're changing the rules. So so please stream and watch on YouTube while it still counts until it doesn't anymore. And that's the mm. funny thing is like I think it only originally counted for like a pathetically small amount anyway, like similar to the pennies on the dollar, like fractions of pennies on the dollar that you get paid for streams. Yeah. So it just kind of seems like they Googled like music industry news and they were like, oh, this is promotional material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, like the last I had, I had heard, it was like they had started counting streams in, like you said, in a, a small fraction of a, a purchase. But like just because so many people listen to albums through Spotify and YouTube and stuff that mm-hmm. like to determine the number one single in the country or the number one record of the week or whatever, they would be counting like actual sales, like physical sales, digital sales, and then also streams. So they're changing it now and it's going to like count, not count streams anymore. They'll count less or something. Yeah. I think it was like, uh, and like live concert attendance, the way that they're counting that is changing. I, Mm. I don't really understand it. I didn't look super into the details, but I just saw like at least three different musical artists that definitely do not have a gold record. (laughs) <laughs> uh, posting about it and I thought it was kind of interesting because yeah. it, it's that kind of like lone activist kind of mindset that I think <laughs> a lot of artists fall prey to because artists are you know unsurprisingly by and large very idealistic people and so they do idealistic sure, yeah. things like uh, I, I saw a post just today about it when Pearl Jam took on Ticketmaster that famous story about like they canceled a whole tour and mm-hmm. they were like, we don't want the service charges on our tickets to be four to $6. That's outrageous. This was the nineties. Uh, we want it to be no higher than a dollar 80 on mm-hmm. our $18 ticket so that fans can pay 20 bucks and <laughs> they'll be okay. And like, you know, that's noble props to Pearl Jam for thinking that that would be a good way to run things. But trying to stand up to the music industry and they, they tried to get other bands to do the same thing. And like, nobody was really willing to do it. Yeah. And, and it's like, 
yeah, that's the way it fucking goes. Like there's a big thing in poker right now where poker stars change their uh, high level rake where they're basically doubling it. So like in their oh, very wow. high level tables, the amount that they're taking out of the pot each hand for the casino is doubling. Mm-hmm. And the players are fucking furious. But here's sure. the thing. It's not the first time it's happened. It's not the first time the players have been furious. And it's not the first time they've tried to get together and like collectively strike from a site. But poker players and musicians and, you know, people who work in those kind of industries, they don't all work in the same building. They're not mm-hmm. employees. They're a bunch of individuals individually entering into this system. So it's like... If, if you want to change the system so that you don't have to face that kind of stuff anymore, you can't just try and like put pressure back on it from the position that you're in. Because here's the thing, you're tethered to it by a string. And yeah. if it pulls on you, you have to follow it. But if you push on the string, it's just going to go slack. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting lesson in power. When, when people try and fail to stand up to corporations <laughs> and governments and stuff in that manner. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of thinking about it, that they're just sort of like, well, let's like take the way we relate to this thing. Like I'm a poker player. So let's like say I won't play until you lower the stake back down. And it's mm-hmm. like, they already thought of that and they made it an amount that people will keep playing and yeah. complain and be annoyed and then like learn to live with it. Well, and like at the end gonna, of the day, like the winners are still profiting and the losers are still losing money. Yeah. And the casino is always winning. And like that's how it's always going to be. Well, and like, you know, if you wanted your, especially in the case of the poker players, it's really tricky because if you wanted your strike to be effective, you would have to get the biggest names, the highest rollers, and the most successful players to strike because they're the ones who generate all the action for the casino. Right. And here's the thing. They're all fucking sponsored by poker stars. Right. Phil Ivy is always wearing the poker stars hat. Like, do you think he's not gonna play on poker stars anymore? That don't be fucking ridiculous. Like, you know, would would a NASCAR driver just give up on his like, you know, twenty-six million dollar Home Depot contract? Are you insane? He has a mortgage <laughs> on a six point nine million dollar mansion to pay. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's crazy. So yeah, I think people just need to kind of check in with reality. And it's like, you know, if, if you're a poker player, if you're a high rolling poker player who is mad about the situation at poker stars, uh, get at me, get in my Twitter DMS and I will teach you about, uh, socialism and how we can do that instead. And if you're like, Oh, the socialists, they want to take away gambling. Yeah, I think they do, but we can still play poker on the way there, buddy. It's going to be fun. (laughs) And also, like, China has Macau. That's, like, the biggest city for gambling in the world. And it's oh, yeah. the only place in China where gambling is legal. Oh, interesting. But they make, okay. a, they make bank off of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, I feel like at this point, we're, I, I don't know, it's like, uh, doesn't China have... I guess I don't actually know if they have, like, games with loot boxes and, like, gotcha games and stuff. Maybe that's more in Japan. Oh, but it feels that's like... an excellent question. I don't know, because it's, like, even even stuff that's not exactly gambling it's like there's cryptocurrency and mobile games and china did like sort of ban cryptocurrency at some point right like oh, no, a few yeah, years ago. yeah yeah i think they completely banned cryptocurrency uh about a year year and a half ago and then i just googled it um <clears throat> yeah games in china may not purchase mm. or, or may not contain any random element any purchases that contain random elements okay like you you must know exactly what you're paying for before you buy it sure because that still leaves you open to stuff like uh, pay-to-win games. Like sure, those are absolutely. very much like I don't know if they exactly exploit like the gambling brain, but they just kind of like it. It feels like a very similar part of the brain, like the somewhere ways between people... gambling brain and Facebook notification brain. Yeah, like just the addiction to like dopamine and like notifications and like things. I I I feel like I read something about this about like why how like there's a lot of similarities with like internet like notifications and like output and stuff and like the part of your brain that likes to gamble where it's like mm-hmm. getting like a like an output where you don't always know what's going to happen like sometimes you'll go on the internet and like on Twitter or Facebook and like not see anything or get any notifications and then sometimes you will and like mm-hmm. not knowing when they're going to pop up or like what you're going to see 
just sort of like the the opportunity for novelty and like randomness. I think sort of like feeds like a part of your brain that also likes to gamble because it's like you could just win and you right, don't know right. if you will. Well, that's interesting because I'm another site that I found because uh, people also ask, is gotcha legal in China? And it says China has implemented restrictive gotcha law that discloses the drop rate of items and loot boxes and has a system of quote unquote pity where a player is guaranteed an item after a certain number of purchases. So there's hmm. still like, you have like guarantees introduced, which mm. is really, really good because that's similar to like why I play poker and I do not gamble on anything else because mm-hmm. I only play games where I can reasonably have positive expected value mm-hmm. and nothing else offers that to me because I do not understand sports. I do not understand horse racing mm-hmm. and any house game, if except for blackjack in certain limited cases, is is a situation where you are going to lose over a given amount of time. Mm-hmm. So y- yes, yeah. sports betting is like a wild one because it does seem like people figure out how to like be like positive EV mm-hmm. doing it, and uh, I don't quite. It must just have like if you can do like a similar level of analytics as like on the stock market on like trends and stuff, mm-hmm. and kind of like bet in that way, not in terms of like vibes where it's like this team you know this guy's got that dog in him so i know he's gonna score 30 points or whatever (laughs) i always thought that like sports journalists would be the best people to get into sports gambling because it's like if it's your job to just know okay this team has these injuries these guys Mm -hmm. had beef this week reports are coming from the dugouts that the you know head defensive coach got sick and couldn't make it to monday and tuesday practice or whatever like I, i think that would be really really valuable information but also like that's the stuff that the bookies know too those the guys who set the odds are are better versed in this shit than you could ever be that's the thing yeah that's why they set the odds like if if you're a successful enough sports book player i feel like at some point the casino is just going to be like why don't you just come and run odds for us because you obviously (laughs) know what's up and then you just make money that way Mm -hmm. compared to like poker where it's like there's always gonna be some fucking fish at the table like you could go up to the highest fucking stakes and there will be some dude who made his money off of cryptocurrency or mr beast will sit down and you can take (laughs) his fucking money and it's like you know uh, a a fool and his money are 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 soon parted and you just you just want to be on the winning end of that that's the thing yeah yeah that's the thing it just seems like in in poker like other people are the ones setting the odds for you and like setting the stakes and yeah if you can just like figure out if you can outplay somebody because you also don't have to outplay everyone at the table you just have to like outplay whoever the like worst players are and so if you can be oh, in like yeah. the top 50 percent at the table you especially can do well. i mean in cash games it's uh, absolutely critical to try and isolate weak players and play a lot of hands with them because you can either bully them around or if they're like a calling station you can um you can just go in with pretty much every hand that has any kind of nut advantage, even if it mm-hmm. doesn't have, if you're not going to make a good made hand most of the time, and mm-hmm. just wait until you make something relatively nutted and just mm-hmm. call, you know, just bet, bet, bet. And if they call, 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 then you take all their fucking chips. Mm-hmm. And th- that's also an important strategy in the early phases of poker tournaments when you're sitting there relatively deep stacked and mm-hmm. guys are just donking off their stacks, like, like, you know making insane fish plays and, and sure. just spewing chips. But like, you know, later in the tournament when you're, when it's like eight regs and a guy who got lucky and you, it's mm-hmm. like <laughs> the strategy changes entirely. What mm-hmm. the fuck were we talking about? You get me on poker and I'll just start talking about <laughs> Yeah, poker. poker's fun to talk about. <laughs> is a fish just someone who is like a fish in a barrel? Like easy, easy pickings? Yeah, easy pickings. A fish is just somebody who is like not a very good poker player, mm-hmm. uh, might be playing at stakes that are too high for them, whatever. And then mm-hmm. you have a whale, which is like a very, very wealthy person who doesn't mm-hmm. really get, who's just there to gamble. That's like, sure. that's a big fish. You really, really want that. Sure, and sure. And then there's other ways to classify players. Um, some people like to use the tag and lag system, tight and aggressive, loose and aggressive, mm, fish, okay. whale, maniac. A maniac is just exactly what it sounds like. And then a <laughs> nit. making no kinds of sense. A nit is the opposite of a maniac. Because a maniac just like tries to play every hand, get in every pot. And then a okay. nit is somebody who sits around waiting for incredibly good hands and plays mm. super, super, super tight. Um, when I was like a teenager and played poker, I was like that sometimes. I would just mm-hmm. be like holding back and like afraid to like ever bluff on anything or like try to go in if I thought I was going to 
gonna lose or whatever. Yeah, it's it's really important to to open up and know what hands are fucking worth betting on and know what hands to throw away. Like people and, and also know what hands to play in what position. If everybody folded to you on the button and you have ace nine off, like fucking open to two and a half big blinds. Like who gives a shit? Open to three big blinds. I don't fucking care. Do some shit. But like if yeah. you have <laughs> ace nine off and you're under the gun, you're the very first player to act, throw your cards away. Everybody yeah. else at the table is going to respond to what you did and you have an ace with a terrible kicker. Like just get rid of your cards. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's whatever. I try to be pretty tight and aggressive. That's the thing. You sit around and you wait mostly for pretty good hands. And then when sure. you have pretty good hands, you play pretty aggro. You try to win the pot. You try to put money in the pot and then you try to take the pot. And sure. that's a good, you know, overall, that's a good intermediate strategy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Cause I feel like that strategy is like, if somebody thinks you're bluffing and they try to call your bluff, then you'll usually win if they read you as like not actually having it. If mm -hmm. they're just afraid of your, of the potential bluff or are afraid to play and then they don't call the hand, then you can just take whatever chips that are already there. And like, I feel like that gets you pretty far is like the hands that oh, people yeah. bow out of. It's just like, uh, that's what's cool about Hold'em is that there's so many rounds of betting is that it's like, there can be more and more of like a sunk cost and people will be like, ah, I guess I got to go in on this hand. But there's also like a fear of getting sunk costed and you're like, I've bet twice. I don't want to have to bet three more times right. and then lose. So I'm just going to throw away what I put in already. Well, it's like some people play so fucking face up that it's like, you know, a uh, king high board comes out and it's like you could tell from the way they're betting that they have a fucking king. And it's like, sure. OK, eight, nine of clubs also came out. And then the next card is a 10 of clubs. So now there's a straight and a flush on the board. And so it's like, okay, I might not have fucking anything. I might have like ace deuce of diamonds, but like I'm going to check raise and I'm going to, you know, check shove and act like a fucking maniac because I want <laughs> him to think I have the straight flush or a straight uh -huh. or a flush or maybe a set or something where he's like, man, this, this, you know, king queen isn't looking so fucking good anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you, you got to know your opponents too. Like I'll bully around somebody I've never seen before because they don't know me. I don't sure. know them. And they're probably just some fish. But if it's a guy that I see at the tables every single day, I'm going to be more cautious and I'm going to try to do more creative plays that he might not have seen me do before instead of just like hitting him with the classic, like, you know, big ass check raise with a flush draw or some shit. Like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, you have a, you have a good hand. You're trying to mm -hmm. like get money in the pot before we even see the flop. Yeah. So, you know, uh, my recommendation, if anybody is hearing us talk about poker and is saying like, well, I want to play, how do I get started? I recommend playing for absolute fucking pennies or play money for a very long time until sure. you are in a game that you can win. And then when you're in a game that you can win, don't go up in stakes. Don't play a different game. <laughs> mm, play play the game that you can win. That's my advice. Mm -hmm. And study. Spend as, at least as much time as you spend playing, studying. And if that mm. sounds crazy, it is. You're going to look like a psychopath and your YouTube recommendations are going to get real weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, poker strategy out there. And it seems like more and more, like, you were saying there's, it's not like, is it exactly like computer derived when people talk about like game theory optimal? Like, are there yeah, like solvers. deep models and stuff? Yeah, there's there's like mm. three different pretty popular solvers. I don't know the names of them. Um, and then there's a bunch of different um, solver softwares that are based on those algorithms that you can sit around and play with and compare hands. You're not allowed to have them open on your... Like, the poker clients will check if oh, you have sure. solver software yeah, yeah. open. Like, they're very, very good at it, too. Um, so don't try to fuck with them because you will get banned. But, For sure. Um, you are allowed to take your hand histories and import them into the solver. And oh, sure. Just like after the fact. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And just like see. So, it, and it just says like what was the optimal bet in that situation or what was the optimal raise or should right. you have called or folded or been out of this hand or whatever. Right, exactly. Like you were maybe in a spot where you had like a straight flush draw and you just like called a half pot bet and the solver is going to tell you like you should always raise. You should mm -hmm. always raise in this spot. It's going to say like raise, you know, 95% of the time fold 5%, never call. And it's like sometimes seeing what the computer thinks is game theory optimal can be a real mindfuck because a lot of the decisions the computer makes are very counterintuitive. But then a mm -hmm. lot of the decisions the computer makes are also perfectly intuitive. So at the end of the day, what's important isn't if you're doing the GTO approved strategy, it's if you understand based on the structure of the game, why the computer made the decision 
to suggest those moves in that place. And when you understand mm -hmm. why, based on either the math or the statistical probability, or just, you know, the fact that the computer can analyze billions of hand histories in the time it takes you to eat a bowl of cereal, um, then maybe just have a little bit of faith that there's something worth sussing out there. And then when you have that understanding, you can deploy it in ways that the computer is not capable of because it's not a creative being. So right. I think people get really limited by the idea that like, oh, it's going to be a solved game or whatever. It's an incomplete information game. You don't know your opponent's cards. It will never be a solved game. It's yeah, not chess. It's not tic-tac-toe. It's not even <laughs> go. It's way more complicated than that. Yeah. And I, I feel like even if it was like, it, it, that, it's such a fallacy because it's like, okay, if the solved answer is like, if you have pocket aces and there's eight people and you're on the button or whatever, you mm -hmm. always bet this, then that would just mean sometimes you don't do that bet and then people don't know you have pocket aces. It's like, it's right. a game about lying. So as soon as you arrive at anything that's close to like a quote unquote solved concept, then someone can be like, well, then I'll represent that I have that thing or represent right. that I don't have it when I do to trick people and then and people then will get baited. And, and it's complicated even further by the fact that like some of the computer's solutions are for you to randomize in a spot. They're like, this is hmm. sometimes a call, sometimes a fold. Interesting. 48% of the time you should fold, 52% of the time <laughs> you should call. It's up to you to figure out how to split that difference. Because that's the other thing. The computer can tell you the exact right ratio of what to do when. Sure. And you can fail to follow it because you're a human being who doesn't realize that you've already called in this spot three times during this tournament and you're mm -hmm. calling again because it's because habit is one of the things we do as people. We have habit. Yeah. So it's it's really important that you try to not just like play correctly, but that you also try to play a style that is not exploitable where people can't pick up on like, oh, he likes to limp pocket kings from relatively mm -hmm. early position so he can re-raise a big shove and get all the chips in the middle. It's like, I do like to do that. And so in order <laughs> to balance my range, in that same spot, I'll also limp 8-9 suited. And mm -hmm. also in that spot when I have kings sometimes, I'll open to four and a half bigs, just a big fucking open. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, it... <laughs> It's more complicated than people think it is. I, I've often wanted to like, <laughs> I keep thinking like I get into Marxism and I'm like, I'm going to write a book, The Dialectics of Texas Hold'em. And then I get into cybernetics and I'm like, I'm going to write a book, The Cybernetics of Texas Hold'em. And it's like, <laughs> maybe you should just write a poker book, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, well, you should write um, a poker book. That'd be cool. I think or you I could will. just win at poker. Or I could just win at poker. Well, I got to do that first so people will take my poker book seriously because I don't have any other books. So I can't be like, I'm an author. I'm not. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be a big, a big, po big time poker guy with enough wins. The number one poker player on the combined Michigan and New Jersey part of Poker Stars. <laughs> We're in our own little bubble, just Michigan and New Jersey battling it out. <laughs> oh, yeah. You said it's legal in Jersey, right? Man, it'd be cool no. if it was legal in New York. Yeah, they, they I, should I try open it out. New York. You guys can still play on americascardroom.eu and a couple of other sites, but you got to use a VPN, I think. Whereas I okay. am playing perfectly legally and above board. I sent them my driver's license and everything. I'm like, nice, nice. let me in, boys. I know how to get money out of these rooms. <laughs> <laughs> I will make you a little rake by taking yes. their money away. That's right. It's more fun than dealing with my boss. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we had other stories to talk about. Fort Bragg, blah, blah, blah. Senator Feinstein is back. She looks terrible. Oh, yeah. The Crypt Keeper is back in the Senate, and <laughs> I am Yas Queening so hard. Yeah, we love it, folks. We're here for it. And on that <laughs> note, we're going to sign off. This has been your episode of Beep Beep. Sorry we were gone for a while. Uh, you could check out, you can subscribe to us on Patreon if you want more. We'll be doing a bonus episode relatively soon. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want more podcasts, you can check out my other show, Work Stoppage, Bryn's other show, Generation Loss. If you want swag, you can check out Todd's shop, Doomer.shop. And as always, we love you. Stay high. Goodbye. Goodbye.